0: Last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we finished up that series that I called 50 Days with Jesus in which we were studying through the Gospel of John. A lot of you read along through that Gospel and heard those stories that John told of Jesus' life, the the signs that he performed, the teachings that he delivered, all things that, that tell us really what John wanted us to know, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, as we did that, it left us with a couple questions. And I brought that to you at the end of the message last week and a couple other times in the series. Okay, what do we do with this, right? I mean, what do we do with this story? And we're all at different places as we're dealing with those questions, right? Today, I want us to begin a series that I'm calling, What's the Next Step? And the next step for us is probably not the same, because just like at the very beginning of the church, right? The, the, the day of Pentecost, you got men who had spent three years with Jesus, had come to faith, had seen it all, knew who Jesus was. And then you had people that it was all brand new at different places in their spiritual formation. And in this room today, we've got people who have been worshiping in this room, in this place for decades. And we've got people who may be exploring these stories of Jesus possibly for the first time. And so we're at different places in our spiritual development. But, but if you're sort of looking at these stories and grappling with who is Jesus? What do I do about these claims that are made about this person 2,000 years ago? You're figuring out, okay, what am I going to do with these stories? And let's pretend for just a moment that that you're where John wants you to be. And in John chapter 20, verse 31, we've hit on this multiple times. John says, I write these things that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And let's say for a minute that you're at that point. Okay, what's the next step? What do I do? next. Now the Bible tells us about that, and and really it's all about faith, and we're going to explore that in a few minutes. We're going to think about what faith is and how we understand it, and to do that we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, but really these questions we have to grapple with. What do I do with the story of Jesus? And And the first step has to be faith, because we're going to cover some other steps, but really, if we're not at the point of faith, the rest of it doesn't matter very much, because whether you're talking about repentance or baptism or anything else, if we haven't decided who Jesus is, then we really have to deal with that first, because the rest won't matter much if we haven't dealt with that. So today I want us to think about that, and to do that... We're going to look at Romans chapter three. What we know is in the first couple chapters of the book of Romans, Paul's dealing with a really important question. How do we stand before God? Okay. And he's dealing with two different groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. And his answer is for the Jews, you've been given the law and you haven't done a very good job of keeping it. And because of that, it separated you from God. Your your sin, your failure to keep God's commands has separated you from him. And he looks at the Gentiles and says, okay, you know what? The law is out there. You've ignored it completely. And that too has separated you from God. So Jews and Gentiles, whoever you are, we stand on equal footing before God. Okay, we're all sinners. And we're going to come back to that thought in a minute. And then Paul says, God dealt with this. And the question is how, and he picks that up in verse 21. So we're going to read several verses, sort of take most of it one verse at a time, because Paul packs a lot in to each verse. So Romans 3, verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So Paul says, okay, let's start with God. God is completely righteous. He's good. He's holy. He's loving. Everything about God is just and pure. All right? We're not. All right? Now, the law showed us who God is. The law showed us that God is right and just and pure, and we we missed it. But now, the first two words of that verse, but now, God has done something new. And he's done it in Jesus. Now, this is still the same righteous God, okay? Still the same righteousness that the Old Testament points to, the law and the prophets pointed forward to, but now God has done something new and he's done it in Jesus. He's showed us his righteousness in a new way, in a more complete way. So still the same God, but showing us who he is in as clear a way as possible. Verse 22, Paul says this, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, Paul uses a couple words there that are really close in meaning. In fact, they have the same root in the Greek language. Faith belief. Okay, if we say I believe something, it's really in Greek the same word that's verb form as faith, that's a noun form. So I believe what I have faith in. So that's what Paul's getting at. And he says, this is how we receive the righteousness of God. So we're sinners. We've messed this up. God wants to make us as righteous as he is. How does he do that? Through faith in Jesus to all those who believe. Now, Here's the thing. Those two words, believe and faith, again, same Greek root, but when we take the one, believe, and move it over to the noun form, it takes on some new shades of meaning. So I can believe a set of facts, right? I can believe George Washington crossed the Delaware River to escape the British. There's accounts that point to that. We know it's a historical fact. I believe it happened. That's belief. But when we move over to faith, we're talking about that set of beliefs points me toward trust. And Paul says it's this trust, this faith, that imparts God's righteousness to us. So faith, then, becomes more than just belief. Let's think about it this way. we got to take our belief and put it into action, is what we're saying. I could go to Six Flags... And I could look at a roller coaster, right? And I could say, you know, that that looks like it's safe, right? I mean, people are buckled in, they're not falling off, the cars are going round and round, nothing's rattling, coming apart, I don't see bolts falling apart, there's even a certificate over here that says it's been inspected, it's cool, everything's great. That's different than actually getting on the roller coaster, right? Which I wouldn't do because it would make me sick. But anyway, that's part of the whole different deal. It's that action Okay, I believe it's safe, but now I'm going to trust it's safe because I'm trusting it with my body. I'm going to get on. That's what we're dealing with with Jesus. We can believe a set of facts about Jesus. I believe he was born, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, parents named Mary and Joseph. I can even believe he's the son of God. I can believe he performed miracles. I can hear his teaching. I can believe he died, was raised from the dead. But here's the thing, that's still just believing a set of facts. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to trust Jesus with things in my life that matter? Am I going to trust Him with the way that I live this life? Am I going to trust Him with the way that I spend my money and my time? Am I going to trust Him with how I approach my family? Am I going to trust Him with how I do my work? Am I going to trust Him with eternity? See, that's a different thing. I believe these things, but I've got to move that from belief to faith, to trust. And when I do, the righteousness of God is given to me. Now... Paul says, here's the reason you need it, and probably the best known of these verses in this section of Romans, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, who? Well, all. He's just said Jew and Gentile, right? There's no difference between them. So, ancient Greek. Modern American, man, woman, old, young, rich, poor, it doesn't matter, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Literally, the word means miss the mark. We were aiming for something and we missed it. Over and over, we've missed it. we failed to do what we know is right. And that makes us sinners. And because of that, we are unrighteous. We stand before God knowing that we are anything but righteous. Over and over we have failed to do this, but Paul has said we can receive that righteousness. We can be made righteous because of faith, trust in Jesus. And that changes everything. Now, Paul uses sort of three images or words to describe how all this works. Okay, And I think they're important for us to understand what Paul's getting at. And we read the first two in verse 24. This is what he says. We're all sinners, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came. By Christ Jesus. So the first of those images is justified. Now, if you're reading this in the ancient world, and, and the way it would have worked is Paul's letter is delivered, and probably someone stands up in front of the church, because not everybody can read, and they would have read this letter. And man, that would have been a lot. Read through Romans, and you'll find out there is a ton there. So it would have been difficult to follow all that on the first pass. But when they heard this word justified, they thought courtroom, okay, courtroom. It's as if you're on trial. You've been accused of a crime, they're going to have all the evidence. it's before judge, it's before jury trial. So the judge hears all the evidence. He did this, she did this, they're guilty, and then the judge has to make a decision, am, am I going to convict them or acquit? And what justified means you are declared righteous, so that means you've been acquitted. You've been let off. Now Paul's just said in verse 23, "You're guilty. But you've just been acquitted. How does that work? Well, notice what he says. All are justified freely by his grace. It's not because you're innocent. It's because of Jesus that you can be declared not guilty. You can be declared righteous. You are acquitted. That's what Jesus does for us. Because he took the penalty, we are Acquitted, So justified. And then he says we're also redeemed. So the second word is redemption. That's a whole different imagery. Okay, that's not courtroom. Set that aside for a moment. We're talking about something else. We're talking about like prisoner of war. That's what would have come to mind. Okay, so we got the, the Roman army, the legions go out, they conquer another people, they drag back the powerful, the wealthy, wealthy, they strip them of everything and they become prisoners of war and they're just hoping someone will buy their freedom. That's what we're talking about. We have become enslaved. Right, we've been taken prisoner by our sin because we are unrighteous. And what Jesus has done is he has bought our freedom by his grace again. He has paid the price and we are now free from that bondage. We have been redeemed. We have been bought back. And the truth is back in the ancient world, if you were a prisoner of war, your heart might be beaten and you might be breathing, but you didn't have much to live for because it was a miserable existence. And so it is as if, When you were bought back, you were given life back. That's what they would have heard. That's what Jesus has done. He has justified me, helped me to be found not guilty, made me righteous, and he has bought me back. He has given me life. Now, the third image comes in verse 25. I'm going to read 25 and 26 together, but it's really right at the beginning here. Paul says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Hold on to that phrase. Through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to and to the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He says Jesus is our The word there is sacrifice of atonement. Now, the Greek word that stands behind that English is is a little difficult to translate. In fact, it needs a whole phrase to itself that the translators can't put in this verse. So what we've got here, this is a little bit technical, but follow with me on this. The, The word there is used a good number of times in the Greek Old Testament. You say, well, wasn't the Old Testament written in Hebrew? Yes, okay, it was. It was translated from Hebrew to Greek because in Jesus' time, everybody speaks Greek, okay? So there's Jews all over the Roman Empire. They don't know Hebrew. They do know Greek. So they translated it over. And this this word would have been familiar to Greek speakers. And when they heard it, what they heard was not sacrifice of atonement. What they heard was in the Old Testament. And the word was mercy seat. Say, okay, well, that doesn't help me because I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Okay. Here it is. We actually talked about this last week. Okay. If you were with us last week, you remember that we talked about the temple. We talked about there's two main rooms in the temple, the holy place and the most holy place in the most holy place are some sacred objects. The, The most important is the Ark of the Covenant, which is this big chest that contains things like Aaron's rod, okay? And and it contains the stone tablets that God gave from the law. Gave them to Moses. So those things are in it. It's hammered with gold. It's got cherubs on either end and they're hammered with gold. Sacred object. We said this is like the, the intersection of heaven and earth. The most holy place on the face of the earth. It's the throne of God, okay? That Ark of the Covenant, this throne of God, was known as the mercy seat. And once a year and only once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest and only the high priest entered that most holy place and he took the blood of a sacrifice and he threw it onto and in front of the mercy seat to pay for the sins of the people of Israel. Okay, so you got that. What's Paul saying? He's saying this. In the old days, with the law, we were guilty. And it took a sacrifice. It took blood. And you took that blood once a year and you dealt with the sin of the people. Paul's saying we don't need the temple. We don't need the holy place, the most holy place. We don't need the high priest. We don't need the Ark of the Covenant. We don't need any of that because of Jesus. Once for all, Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins, to be our mercy seat. And it doesn't have to be done over and over. It's done for good, for all time. And so now what do we have to do when we are unrighteous? Go to God and ask forgiveness of sin. God has dealt with our sin. He has justified us, so we're not guilty. He has redeemed us, so we've been bought back. And he is our mercy seat. He, he provides forgiveness for us even though we don't deserve it. And in that way, through faith in Jesus, we receive the righteousness of God. So the first step. What's the next step? If you haven't taken this one, this is the most important one to take today. It's faith. Faith that Jesus is who he said he was. And that you can trust Him with everything that matters in life. So the lesson is this. Faith is the foundation of our relationship with God. That's where it starts. Faith is the foundation of our relationship with God. Everything else is built on that. So we have to start there. But that leaves us today, as people hearing this and hearing Paul say these things, with a couple questions. And the first question is, what do you believe about Jesus? I mean, we've got to grapple with this. We heard the stories. Hopefully you read along. You heard what he said. And he says, I'm the Son of God, right? If you go back to the very beginning of John, John tells us Jesus was there in creation. Nothing is created without him. And he has been eternally present, came and took the form of a man, and he showed us who he was by what he did and what he said. What do you believe about Jesus? And if you believe that he's the Messiah the Son of God, what will you entrust to Jesus? Are you going to entrust the things that matter most? So is this life going to be organized around your faith in Jesus? Is it going to be organized around being justified and redeemed and forgiven? But that's what what faith is. It's trusting Jesus with all that stuff with family, with work, with finances, with eternity. And and so, what will you do? What will you do with this news about Jesus? What will you do? What, What step are you willing to take? And if you've come to faith, what's next? That's what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray together. And we're thankful for Jesus, and we're thankful for what everything that Paul reminds us of. Of what Jesus has done, and how that changes our status before you, and how even though we know we don't deserve it, we can be made righteous. And we're thankful for that. And so God, we come before you today expressing our faith in Jesus, and our trust in him, and asking for the forgiveness that comes only from him. And God, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.